we are going to conclude our series about heaven. And uh, once again, I'm going to be using way too many scriptures uh, to draw a lot of things from, so you can follow along on the screen. Or you can go to Version and, and uh, punch, in, punch that, our, our church in, Covington First Assembly, to a live event, and you can follow that way. Or if you just got really quick fingers, you can flip through your Bible with us. So uh, just kind of as a, as just to reconnect where we're at, we talked in week one, we talked about heaven defined. Heaven is defined as the place where God dwells. And uh, so any place where God is dwelling, that is heaven. Now, obviously, we can say, well, he's here because he was in amongst our praise. But heaven is where his throne is. Heaven is where God sits on his throne, where he rules and reigns. We saw several visions that we looked into in the scripture where they peered into heaven and saw God on his throne, his, his ruling and reigning affecting the earth, his footstool is the earth. Uh, we, we looked at all of those things. Then last week we talked about current heaven, heaven as it pertains to right now. If a person was to pass away in Christ and to be in the presence of God, what's taking place there today? Our loved ones are there. Amen. Many of our loved ones are there right now, gathered around the throne room of God, singing holy, holy, holy. And they're just enamored with the presence of God there today. And now today we're going to uh, conclude and talk about the new heavens and the new earth, which is ultimately is where we're going to spend our eternity as it pertains to heaven. Now, before we get into it too deep, I want to make something clear because there's some discrepancies. There are people that will tell you and I that as it pertains to the scriptures where it talks about a new heaven and a new earth, they will tell you that it's basically just symbolic. That when you see new heaven and you see new earth, that it's only a symbol of what Christ has already done. I've sat across from a table from a gentleman uh, many years ago that tried telling me that the book of Revelation has no historical uh, account to it. It has no future prophecy account to it. The only purpose of it is is a symbolic point of view of messages that were encrypted, that were sent out to churches that were suffering. That we can't see it for prophecy and that everything in it is symbolic and you can't take any of it literal. There are people today that would disagree on a lot of the things that I'm going to teach you today as it pertains to the new heaven and new earth because they claim that the new heaven and new earth were established by Jesus Christ going to the cross and dying for our sins and by the impact of that work that the, this earth has now become a new place. It's become a place where we can be saved, where sin is conquered and, and, and so on and so forth. That Jesus Christ has made all things new by the cross. Therefore, there's not really a new creation coming. It's really just symbolic of what Jesus did on the cross. That's, that's not true. That's just not true. We as the Assemblies of God deemed it important enough to even add this onto our 16 fundamental truths that there is going to be an actual creation of a new heaven and a new earth. That's just the way it is. That's what the Word of God says, and, uh, and we can be sure of it today. It's not something that John made up when he looked in in Revelations 21 and 22, in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. He didn't just look in and, and see something that he made up, folks. This isn't some kind of symbolism. He saw the actual recreation of a new earth and a new heavens surrounding it. When I say heavens, I mean skies and that which is above it. It's not talking about uh, some kind of a symbolic thing. It's, not, it's a fulfillment. What John saw was a fulfillment of Isaiah 65, verses 17 and 18 that say this, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. 
Now, anytime you look in here, everybody say create. 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 If you're creating something, then it's real. Okay? Now, if you want to argue with me and say, Pastor, it's still symbolism. By Jesus' work on the cross, He created a new atmosphere for the earth. Okay. And a lot of people don't like to use Old Testament Scriptures because they feel they're outdated and those prophecies aren't good. I totally disagree with that standpoint as well. But if you must demand that I give you a New Testament Scripture instead of the book of Revelation to point toward an actual, physical, created new heaven and earth, we'll look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 10 through 11, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speeding His coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Now, as we look at that scripture and we kind of evaluate it, we see a lot of physicality within that scripture. Let's look at it. The heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Now, this sounds like a pretty physical passage of scripture, doesn't it? It doesn't sound symbolic. Does it sound like something that's already taken place? As a matter of fact, Peter is writing this after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and is pointing toward a day that's coming. Not as though it's already come. It's a day that is approaching. It's a day that will happen. And he's speaking of the heavens being destroyed and the earth being destroyed. Let's just think about this for a second. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, did the heavens disappear? Did the earth destroy? No, obviously not. We are not talking about something symbolic when we read the book of Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1, when we look and we see that it says, that Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away, there was no longer any sea. When John saw that, he saw that the first heaven and earth actually were destroyed. Exactly what Peter talked about there. Burn up with a fire, with a great noise. He used the word destruction and destroyed in there. Gone. That which we are standing on today. When you walk out the doors of this building, even right now in this building, it's all going to be gone. Physically. And God is going to create a new earth with a new sky around it. When it talks about heavens, it's not talking about a spiritual place somewhere else. It's talking about the sky around it, that second layer of heaven, that atmosphere, I guess, the first heaven and second heaven, that which is the atmosphere around us and then the stars above us. Those are all going to be new. And now what we see here is all going to be absolutely created new. And John was able to witness it. So, Pastor, since this is physical... And by the way, we're going to be asking and answering a lot of questions. Anybody have any questions today? Leave your hands down. I will ask, her and ask and answer them, okay? I don't want you asking something I can't answer. Make me look stupid up here. What? what would you get up here and do that? Don't, don't judge me. Sit in my office all week saying, oh, dear God, what would they ask if I said, throw your hands up? Ask me in the foyer. What will we see in the new earth? What will we see? Revelation 21 will show us most important thing you're going to see on the new earth. You ready? It's the same answer that every kid, if you ask them what they learned about today in Sunday school, they will tell you, God. 
Jesus. We get to see God. We get to see Him face to face. I know that only got Carolyn happy, but anybody else is excited, you can say amen. <laughs> Revelation 21, verses 2 through 5, I saw the holy city in the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who, has seated, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. So the first picture we have of, of heaven is the ultimate fulfillment of the plan of God. The beginning of all eternity, folks, that God is now taking his throne from a spiritual dwelling place of heaven and he is intermingling the physical and the supernatural together and he's placing it on a new earth, an earth that is holy, an earth that is capable of maintaining the presence of God without fleeing from the presence of his face. We saw in the book of Revelation, if you go back to read it, that the throne has appeared and and, and the earth and all the elements fled from the face of God. This earth is holy and not tainted by sin, not tainted by the lusts and desires of man and God can be here. He can be here without it running from Him. God is setting His throne up in this city of God. It's where His throne will be. And we will come to Him, folks, and we will, conf- we will converse with God, the Creator of the universe, face to face. Now some of you right now goes, that's scary. It may take up some courage at some point to go, We good? We good? Oh, good. It may take up a little, I don't know. But we're going to see him face to face. The second thing we're going to see is we're going to see the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem. Now, some people get concerned about the size of this city and how it's described. And they say, Pastor Bob, how is there going to be room for everybody? Everybody that ever died, if you take everybody that ever lived on this earth and died and put them in that city, how are they going to fit? And my answer to them is, is not everybody that ever lived and died is going to be there. Only those that have faith in Jesus Christ will enter into this city. Let's look at what it says about the city right here. Revelation 21, verses 15 through 17. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurements, which the angel was using. Now, some of you say, Pastor, I don't know what a 12,000 stadia distance is. Actually, a 12,000 stadia is a distance of about 1,380 miles. That's one wall. Long. And high. 1,380 miles. Now when you look at this, this, this city, it's a cube. Okay? It's a cube. It's 1,380 miles this way, that way, that way. It's a cube. Why is it important that it's a cube? If you look at the Word of God and you do the study about the, the tabernacle, the temple of God, you're going to find out that the dwelling place of God in that temple was a cube. Perfectly square. It's a representation of letting us know this is God's house. 
This is where God dwells. This is where He's going to be. But if we can just grasp and take just fathom for a second how big this city is, okay? Let's say we get into a car and we leave today immediately after church and we go to Miami. Now that sounded a whole lot better in February, didn't it? But we go to Miami. Miami's about 1,300 miles away from Covington. That's one wall. That's one wall. And then we start from Covington and we go straight west. And we end up approximately out near Salt Lake City, Utah. Not quite there, but close to it. That's another 1,300 miles. Somewhere between Cheyenne, Wyoming, and a little closer to Salt Lake City, Utah. And then we go back down to Miami and we say, wow, that's a big L, isn't it? Those are two giant walls. And we say, okay, we want to get the southern part of this city. And we leave from Miami and we take off across the Gulf of Mexico and we end up somewhere in central Mexico. Everybody goes, I don't want to go to central Mexico. (laughs) About mid-February, some of you would have said, I want to go to central Mexico. But you end up in central Mexico and then you turn and you go straight north and you connect. That's a big city. It's a big place. The cool thing is, it's one city. It's one. Scripture also makes clear that there's other dwelling places because it says the nations will come into it. That's one city. That's the capital of the new earth. Pretty amazing. The walls are over 263 feet thick. Nobody's going to burrow in or under. Just walk through the gates. This city is described in Scripture as being so bright there will be no need for the sun. In other words, folks, what that means is is life is not going to be sustained by the natural elements that we have today. It's not necessary for the light. Besides, the glory of God is there. That glory that Jesus, we couldn't see in Him, that Isaiah 53 uh, talks about, it says that there was no beauty in Him that we would behold Him. That beauty of God, the glory that was suppressed inside of human flesh, that was shrouded to where we couldn't see it, suddenly is going to shine bright. And God Himself is going to be bright enough that there is no darkness within the city, not even darkness. That means if you live in the city of God and you have a closet, you don't need a light. Christy, you'd find all your shoes. Praise God. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us all if Christy's there. The nature, folks, of this place is that, like John said in John chapter 1, in him, speaking of Christ, was life, and that life was the light of men. This city's going to glow with that light and with that life. And He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. Now, that scripture that says the old order of things have passed away, that that sparks a lot of questions. Because this earth is what we're familiar with, amen? And when this is gone, we're going to say, wow, what's going to happen? What's the new earth going to look like? What's going to take place? And and, in question number one, Pastor Bob, are we going to have homes in heaven Well, let's talk about it, because that's a very, very good question. 
And some people would, would, would have the courage to tell you no based upon the fact that last week we talked about how uh, we were going to dwell in the shadow of the Most High. How we talked about where God said of the martyrs, He said, I'm going to put my tent over you and, and never again will the sun or the scorching heat burn on your back. Those types of things. This covering of God saying that you're not going to have those things to worry about. On the new earth, we're not going to have the three requirements of survival. Food, water, and shelter. You see, we're not going to survive based upon natural things. So we really won't need shelter, so to speak. We won't necessarily have to have shelter or we're going to die. But I believe that God in His grace and His, His love for us gives us shelter. He gives us a place. Jesus does mention that in His Father's house there are many rooms. And the King James Version says mansions, but really and truly that word in the Greek, what it means is a dwelling place. A place to dwell. So say, Pastor Bob, which is it? Is it a mansion or is it a room? I know which one I want. Oh, go ahead and smile. You can't tell me, I want my mansion to be this, and I want my mansion to be that, and I want, Brother God, oh my goodness, when my mansion gets here. I want my mansion to have a fountain in the front. I want my mansion to be in the woods. Listen, it, it, <laughs> it's a dwelling place. Relax. Amen. And it's not so much what the walls look like, it's where it's at. Can I get an amen? amen. amen. I want my room. I don't care what it looks like. I just want to be in it. Can I get an amen? Listen, this place, this dwelling place, it's, it's, it's pointing to more than just a place for us to go and relax and have the most comfortable furniture in the world, okay? What this is, is talking about in Genesis 6.14, if you remember that Noah was commanded by God to put rooms or dwelling places in the ark. Genesis 6.14, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. The ark was a picture of the, of the safety of God and security that we have through Christ. Jesus Christ, through Him, we are in an ark of safety. There's a place for us. There's a room for us. Then Jesus obviously said, in my Father's house are many rooms. I believe this to have a double purpose, a double meaning. The fact that when we go and we dwell in the shelter of the Most High on the new earth, we are going to have a dwelling place, but that dwelling place points more towards the security and safety that we have for all eternity than it does for something that we would see on HGTV. <clears throat> Somebody's preaching. Amen. Don't get caught up in all the other stuff. It's a dwelling place. All that matters is I'm in it. <laughs> Why do I believe there will be actual dwelling places? Well, the actual dwelling places I believe are going to be there because of what John just saw come out of heaven. What did he see? He saw a city. Define a city for me. One building, two buildings, People, anybody ever been to New York City before? Anybody ever seen it on television? Say, oh dear God, I don't ever want to go there. <laughs> Listen, a city is full of dwelling places. It's full of people. It's full of activity. It's full of the glory of God. And where God says, I am going to make my dwelling place with them. 
There's rooms. In other words, there's a place for us. There's a place. I don't care how he decorates it. He can decorate it however he wants, as long as I'm in it. This new Jerusalem is simply the capital of the new earth. And we see, and we'll read it here in a few minutes later in Revelation 21, where it does talk about... uh, I guess I'm getting kind of ahead of myself. Listen, we worry about it being a city and we'll do Pastor Bob, I really don't really prefer the city. I don't like living in the city so much. I have grown up in the country and I would always prefer to be in the country if I may. And I would say take that up with God. However, there are 12 gates on this city pointing all four directions. And it says that the nations will come into it. Okay? Apparently there's some nations on this world. And this city is never dark, meaning it's always open for business. A true government that is effective. (laughs) Then we all go, it must be heaven. (laughs) This truly is supernatural, a government that's working efficiently. Hallelujah. Give me an amen, Tom. Yes. We agree on such things, don't we? Hallelujah. And it's operated and run well. And if this is just the capital city. Mm, So cool. Next question. Pastor Bob, if everything's the new things are a new order and the old order's passed away, does that mean I know everything? Yep. Well, some of you think you do now. I've met people <laughs> I've met people that say, Well, actually, Pastor Bob, I know pretty much everything there is to know right now. So and I would say, wrong, you don't know that you're stupid. Because <laughs> you don't. And we don't all know everything. Amen? Who is it that's omniscient? God. God is omniscient. He's the only one that's omniscient. He's the only one that ever will be omniscient. He is the only one that will ever be omniscient. People like to say that we will be perfect and use this scripture in 1 John 3, 2 to back it up. And they say that since we're going to be made like Jesus when we see Him, that we will know everything. 1 John 3, 2, Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. However, this is not referring to our more, this is referring more to our moral and physical condition than it does anything else. He says what we will be has not been yet made known, but the fact that it says when we see Him, that's our key. Why is it our key? Because we know seeing face to face with God means something's had to happen to us. Means that we've had to be made like Jesus in some way. Because we we all know that Moses sat on the mountain and talked with God, but yet he couldn't see his face. Why? Because no man can see God and... But the fact of the matter is, is now we're going to get to see God. So when we see Him, we'll be made like Him, which means we can go to God the Father and talk to Him, and our bodies not drop dead because they're sinful. Oh my goodness. It means morally and physically we have been changed. Our moral situation has been completely met. We are not sinful. Our bodies have been made supernatural. They have been made divine like Jesus. We have been made eternal, physically glorified bodies that can stand the presence of God. But what it's not saying is is it does not mean that when we see Him, suddenly we know everything of all eternity past and all eternity future and we can dwell outside of time and space and blah, 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 blah. That's not possible. Only God Himself is eternal in that sense and respect of all eternity past. Only God is self-existent. We will be made complete, but we won't know everything. 
Only God is omniscient and only God will ever be omniscient. It is poor theology to think we will be able to take on His knowledge immediately when we walk into heaven. It will not happen. So don't let your little heart get broken when you get there and you don't know everything. We will know much more than what we do now. God is going to continually reveal Himself to us throughout all of eternity. And He's going to reveal knowledge and understanding to us and so on and so forth. You see, you and I, we are not eternal in the sense that we are not self-existent. We have not always existed. See, God by authority gave man the ability to procreate. And you and I all began at the same place. Well, not all the same place, but different places, similar place. Our mama's wombs, right? Meaning we are finite. Meaning we have a beginning. Amen? Our parents conceived us and God in His faithfulness and honoring the authority of procreation breathed a living soul into us. And we became eternal from that point on. We are finite. There is no way that we can know or understand or grasp that which is eternity before. And we cannot measure it or, or, or comprehend that like God does. It's those types of things like David when he was thinking about the sovereignty of God in Psalm 139.6 says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And then Job, after he had been confronted by God, after uh, his faithlessness and, and arguing with him, he, he, he realizes it in Job 42.3, Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Folks, there is a lot more out there than what you and I are ever going to be able to attain. And God is going to reveal it to us throughout all eternity. If not, then we're just all going to know everything just sit around for eternity in heaven. Did you catch another fish, Bubba? Yep. Same size as the last one, 400 pounds. We're fishing in perfection, brother. We don't even have to use bait. Watch this. Hey, get in my boat. Cool, wasn't it? That wasn't in my notes. Scripture shows us some really important things as it pertains to God's promise to continually bring revelation to us. Ephesians 2, verses 6 and 7 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Some of you are still thinking about a 400-pound fish, 400 fish, aren't you? <clears throat> In order that in the coming ages, everybody say coming ages, He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Coming ages. How many ages do you think Paul was thinking about living in natural flesh? The coming ages, He's going to reveal Himself to us. We can't comprehend it. We don't fully understand it. But folks, listen. The things that the apostles saw, that John saw, that Paul saw when he said he had been caught up to the third heaven, when, when Isaiah looked into heaven, when Ezekiel looked into heaven, when all these ones that looked into heaven and saw great and wonderful things, do you realize that's going to be our daily occurrence? At some point, our mind and understanding is going to be expanded. Like when you first get there and you see a seraph that's got four faces and six wings, you're going to go, oh. On like week, like week two, you're going to be like, sup, seraph, how you doing? It's going to become more common. Knowledge is going to expand. Understanding is going to expand. When God begins to speak to us and tell us the wonders of the universe, after a while we're going to go, I get it. Wow. Thank you, Larry. 
Not only this, and I need to hurry up on this point, but not only this, but we see the nature of God as He will be revealing Himself to the nations during the millennial reign of Christ to both glorified believers and resurrected bodies and also the natural. Now remember, during the millennial reign of Christ, there are those that are in natural bodies that still have to make a decision whether they're going to follow Christ or not. And there's going to be there's those there that are in glorified bodies. And this is the scene. Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 3. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the last days. That's how we know it's the millennial reign and not the new heaven and new earth. It's the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Then also in Isaiah 54, 13, all your sons will be taught by the Lord and great will be your children's peace. These promises, folks, are about a God that is teaching and training and raising up his children, expanding and imparting knowledge and understanding to them. This is going to take place not just now, today with the word of God or in the millennial reign of Christ, but also throughout all eternity. We can't even fathom his created uh, creation. We can't fathom it. We got satellites going out forever that can't find the end of a universe. If that which is natural is eternal, how much greater is the God that created it? Way more to discover, folks. Way more to understand. And you say, Pastor Bob, you just used the word days a few minutes ago as you, pertain, as you talked about heaven. You talked about weeks. That's another question. Is that possible? I thought in the new heavens and the new earth there's no time. How is it that you would be talking about time? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that question. Let me see if I can pull something off the top of my head. Let's look at the three different phases of heaven we talked about. The first one is that which the, those, those that had died under the law had went into Abraham's bosom, a holding place where the scripture said and made clear that, that the, the sins committed had been he didn't punish the sins committed waiting for Christ to go to the cross and become a sacrifice. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. There was the expectation of time. They were there and held and waited for. Okay? There was a waiting period there. They understood that there was a waiting period there. There was an existence there, and it had a measurement of time until the cross. Then we talk about our, the current heaven that there is today where, where it's a supernatural place where our loved ones are at in spirit. But even there is described with a measurement of time. Revelation 8.1, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. <laughs> well, how can you measure a half an hour in heaven if it's a place where there's no time? But John said, had an understanding of time in his heart and mind from being on earth, and looked at it and said, for a half hour, the Holy Spirit directed him to write, it's been a half hour. Half hour of silence in heaven. And we also know there's music in heaven, right? Do this with me. You know, music is set on time. And if you don't got no time, you're playing music, it's ugly. It's really bad. Don't do that, you got no rhythm. There's rhythm in heaven, which means there's some kind of counting and time in heaven. So there's got to be an understanding that there's a, a, an understanding of time. And even those in Revelation 6, those uh, martyrs that we saw in heaven, we talked about last week, this is what they said in, in verses 10 and 11. They called out in a loud voice, How long? Long? Measurement of time. Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until... Until? You judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told the favorite words that everybody loves to hear. 
Wait a little bit longer. Wait. There's, there's, there's time in heaven. They have to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been, as they had been was completed. Now, we see two things there. We see a measurement of time and we also see the sovereignty of God. We see these individuals coming in not knowing everything. God, when is this going to happen? And then we also see God saying, look, just wait a little bit longer because there's a number that I'm aware of because only I exist outside of time. And I understand everything because only I'm omniscient and I can tell you to hold, wait, wait peacefully because there's a time coming. Are we grasping this? So as it pertains to the new heaven and the new earth, we know that even Satan himself, I need to hurry up, Satan himself and fallen angels are bound by time waiting for a day of torment. Matthew 8, 29, what do you want with us, son of God? They shouted, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Demons are waiting for their appointed time. Revelation 12, 12, therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. These are angelic beings, also finite, created, bound by time. Bound by time. So it appears as though even in the new earth, there will be an understanding of time. Revelation 21, verses 23 through 25. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Now, when a person reads this, they say, well, there's no need for a sun or a moon because this city is going to light up the whole earth. And it's always going to be daytime, so there'll be no night. However, when you look at it and you read it in the right light, you say, the city doesn't need. The city doesn't need sun. Now, obviously, I know if God wanted to light up the entire universe, he could. Amen? Amen? This reference to the city not needing light, but yet it says on no day a measurement of time. And there will be no night, no night there. Again, when we look at this uh, new earth, we must understand that everything we see today is a shadow of what is to come. God created both day and night, and the beauty found in both. Has anybody ever set out on a starlit night and go, wow, God is so cool. Wow. God is amazing. Or is that just me? And then you go, isn't God amazing? <laughs> or am I the only one that's been there? He is most likely going to do the same thing on a new earth. And where there is a rotation of the earth, you will have both day and night. And the gates of the city are never closed on any day because it is never in need of light. In other words, the glory of God will be there and His throne truly is without end. You say, I'm crazy. You say, Pastor Bob, you're crazy. That just messes with my theology of heaven. Isaiah 66, verses 22 and 23. As the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, so we know He's talking about the new heavens and the new earth here. There's no denying that. We know where He's talking about. That I make will endure before me, declares the Lord. So shall your name and descendants endure. For from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. Wait a second. A new moon celebration, a Jewish celebration of the new moon in the new earth? 
Now, why are we having new moon celebrations if there's no moon and there's no sun? And why is it that we're having a Sabbath if we don't have any measurement of time? Can anybody answer that question for me? If there's a Sabbath, there's got to be a measurement of time. But Pastor Bob, I thought 2 Peter 3.8 says that uh, do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. I would say you are exactly correct with the Lord. The Lord. That's describing God, not us. We are finite. We are progressing by time. We will continually progress by time. Only God can exist outside of time itself. We are measured. We'll not be able to measure the past behind us, but we will consistently measure the days and the time ahead of us. And folks, don't worry about that because our future is immeasurable. It's eternal. And we get to catch 400-pound catfish. Which leads us to the biggest question of all. I'm sorry, quickly, two more. Biggest question of all, will, will there be animals in, on, on the new earth? Because I know everybody's worried about that. Again, we've got to remember that they were a part of the original creation, a shadow of things to come, the new heaven and the new earth. Jesus did not come to save the animals, okay? To save their souls so they can get to heaven. Listen, uh, Jesus indirectly uh, is saving creation by His work on the cross because He saved man who are sinful in the fall of creation, yet He's going to make all things new and animals are going to be a part of it. You say, Pastor, why, why would you say that? Because He put them on the ark. He cared enough to say, <laughs> not only make rooms for man, but make rooms for animals too. And according to Scripture, every creepy crawly thing that's out there. <laughs> snakes are coming, snakes are coming, snakes are coming. <laughs> go by, go by! My luck, my room's going to be right next to the spider bin. <laughs> Which I think may be my basement right now, because I was down there the other day. It would be silly to think that God would wipe out all the animals from this earth and not have any on the new creation, the new earth. Not to mention Isaiah, even though he's a bit vague to the exact timing of his prophecies, it is easy to see that it suggested animals to be not only in the millennial reign of Christ, but also in the new earth. Isaiah 11, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. As I said in the first service, apparently there's no department of children and family services because anybody let their kid play with a lion Verse 7, the cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, another bad parent, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then Isaiah 65, verse 25, the wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. And I just messed somebody up because they thought snakes are going to be on the new earth. I always told our youth when I did youth ministry, I said, when it comes to this time, here's what I want. They said, what do you want? I said, I want a bear. I want a pet bear in my yard. And I want a pet lion in my yard. And I want a pet anaconda. Just because I say, hey, look, those, those are my animals. And they, on the old earth, they were some bad dudes. Now they're pretty chill. But they're mine. Anyway. So yes, there's going to be animals. Little animals all over heaven. 
Lastly, <laughs> get a hold of yourself, Carly. What will we be doing? What will we be doing? The Scripture says we're going to have eternal life. If I was to ask you what life was and to have you define it, what would it be? Because life is what we're doing today. Life is what we're doing every day, is it not? We have a place to worship. We have a job we have to do. We have some work. We have relationships. We have some rest time and recreation. We have adventures that we get to go on. Journeys. Folks, everything we have on this life, in this earth, it's going to be multiplied 10,000 times over. It's not even measurable. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, worship is going to be totally different. Because the Scripture says there won't be a temple on the new earth. In other words, the Scriptures finally fulfilled completely and totally that Jesus said when He told the Samaritan woman, He said, we don't need to worship either here on that mountain or that mountain. He said, but, but, but there's coming a day when the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Amen? And we sense that a little bit today. But in that day, it's going to be fulfilled completely because we'll all walk with God and we won't need a temple to go to to do it. Our work and the creation of this earth in the, in the Garden of Eden, Adam was told, and he was placed in the garden and he was told to work it. And as I said before, God didn't mean dancing. Work it. Take care of it. Tend it. And it only work only got bad when mankind sinned. Amen? But there's a work that God's going to have us to do. We saw relationships in their perfect form in the Garden of Eden. Relationships that were perfect. Not manipulative. Not disinterested. Not self-motivated. They'll be placed in the perfect order. Because there'll be no sin. You see, folks, when we start looking at things in light of this, we have to understand that there's going to be life. And our life there is affected by what we do here. <clears throat> Lastly, six, Luke 19, verses 16 through 26, last scripture. Jesus tells a, a parable of a king who gave out minas to servants and returned to collect and the first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you were a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take, the, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that, not, that to everyone who has more will be given, but as for one who, who has nothing, even that, what he has, will be taken away. You say, Pastor, what's the point of that? Exactly what authority we will have, exactly what roles God will give us, I cannot answer those questions. But I can tell you 
that this life plays a role. I can tell that he's invested into you, into me, responsibilities. Whether it be knowledge, whether it be resources, whether it be position of influence, whatever it may be in your life, God has planted you somewhere and entrusted something into your hands and he has said, invest this and make it multiply and grow. Obviously, he's pointing toward the gospel. He's pointing toward his will. He's pointing toward his purpose. Based on how we handle what he's given us, authorities will be given to us in that new kingdom someday. Now, obviously, the ones that are going to receive the highest authorities aren't going to be people that were looking for it. It's going to be the people that we're serving just because they love their master. Out of all these questions, out of everything we talked about, do you want to know the most important one? Will you be there? Amen. Will you be there? I've heard my, my mama say it multiple times, just be there. When I get there, just be there. Folks, this whole thing all about heaven, it doesn't make any sense. It's not any good for us, authorities or anything else to talk about if you're not surrendered to Jesus Christ because it's pointless information for you. It's pointless. You won't be there. And our goal is, is that you would follow Jesus. That's why we talk about these things. What a wonderful thing to look forward to the kingdom of heaven and know what God has planned for us and go, wow, I get to receive that. I don't deserve it, but God is good. All the time, and all the time, 